What's up, everybody? Troy Cartwright here. Welcome back to Ten Year Town. We are doing something a little different today. We are running an episode back. This episode first aired about 20 weeks ago, and our audience has grown a lot since then. So if you haven't heard this, stick around. And if you have, no worries. Listen again. It's a fantastic episode. Or wait till next week, January 2nd. We've got a brand new interview dropping that you are not going to want to miss. I hope you guys are having a very happy holiday. It has been the gift of a lifetime to get to make this podcast for you guys. So we'll see you in 2024. Thanks. I think being a publisher is one of the hardest jobs in the music industry. We are joined today by a publisher by the name of Courtney Allen and What you're going to get in this episode is a bunch of perspective, not only on the journey that it takes to become a publisher, which much like songwriting is is oftentimes very hard, but also perspective on what it means to be a publisher, to be a songwriter's champion. And if you are a songwriter, I think you're going to learn a lot about what it takes to get a publisher to want to work with you and how to be great at that. I love this episode. Without further ado... Courtney Allen. Where where are you from? South Carolina. What part? Greenville, the upstate. Simpsonville, really. My mom will get mad if I don't say Simpsonville because she says, you're not from Greenville. You're from Simpsonville. Is that a small small town? It's pretty small. Yeah. I mean, it's small, but it's not one of those that you just drive through and there's one stoplight. It's grown a lot since I lived there. But I I graduated with like 500 people, so it wasn't... Oh, okay. It wasn't tiny, but it's, you know, a small town where everybody kind of knows each other. Yeah. How'd you get to Nashville? How long have you been in town? Well, I've lived in Nashville twice. So I lived in Nashville and I moved home for a few years and came back. No way. Yeah. So I think that that's also a really important part of my story that we can get to. I would love to hear it. I moved here when I was 21. I'm 36 now. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I'm 36 now. So off and on for 15 years. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. So did you go to school somewhere? I did. Before? I went to the University of South Carolina. I went for sport and entertainment management because it sounded fun. Was it? It was fun. I loved USC. It was great. Yeah. But I didn't know music was an option. I just thought you got to go to college after high school and this sounded the most fun. Sure. Because I I was never one of those people who knew what they wanted to do. Yeah. I've I've played there before. What is that? um... There's a tin roof in Columbia now. A lot of people I played play there, that. but there's a there's a venue like attached to it. Is it called like the Senate? I I think so. Or something but like I that? think that was like way after my time. Okay. So I was only there for two and a half years and I transferred to MTSU. So oh, okay. I finished MTSU. I, I don't know what the majors are at MTSU. Recording industry management. That's so that's okay. what I ended up doing. What but when I went there I knew I wanted to do music. So when I was USC, I had no idea. I don't even know anything about sports and I was in sport and entertainment management. Yeah. Like, I was just in classes with a bunch of athletes, pretty much. What was, like, the goal? You chose at 21 to move to MTSU. So, like, did you know that you wanted to be in music or? Well, it's kind of a weird story. I grew up, my parents came to Fanfare when it was at the fairgrounds. Yeah. Like So my dad and mom used to come, and I saw the pictures of them with Reba and Faith Hill and Trisha. And I grew up listening to that and listening to the Mavericks. And, boy, howdy, if you know who that is, that was the band Jeffrey Steele was in. Okay. And he, you know— my mom would go see them and take me. So I'm like, what do y'all know about being a Jeffree Steele fan? Like, Dang. y'all need to dig into Boy Howdy. 
But that's OG right there. It's OG. So I used to always go to concerts with my mom growing up and just the original country stuff like, you know, Alan Jackson, Brooks and Dunn, Winona, things like that. So yeah. I grew up listening to country music, but when I got older, I kind of just went into the top 40 and the pop stuff. And so it sure. wasn't up to date on any of the country stuff at the time that I was in college. So I had a friend from high school who called me up one day and said, hey, I am going to be in Columbia and can I stay at your apartment? I'm going to a concert. And I said, yeah, sure. And she goes, well, actually, I have an extra ticket. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, sure. What what show is it? And it was when Jason Aldean was opening for Trace Adkins. That's how long ago this wow. was. Yeah, I'm getting older and older as, as <laughs> I speak. But uh, I knew who Trace was because I grew up listening to him, but I didn't know who Jason was. He had like one single at the time. So he was brand Is that new. before... Like Amarillo Sky? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. Why was the single that was out. And it was CMT Man. on tour. So it yeah. was when they would go. I don't even know if they still do that, but they would go and so. they'd film all the shows. So I said, sure, I'll go with you. So we go and we're going to the bathroom and this guy stops us. And he goes, this is such, an, such a typical kind of story, but he stops <laughs> us. Hey, where are you girls sitting? And I'm immediately like, why? Mm-hmm. He goes, well, you know, I work with Trace Atkins and we need young girls that are in the front row and they're having fun and we are doing these shots for CMT. So we like need girls for the front row. I'll gotcha. give you these front row tickets. And my friend, of course, she's like, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm still going, mm, that sounds weird. What's yeah. the catch? He's like, I swear there's no catch here. Just take the tickets. So we go, we do that. We have fun. And before we leave, he comes over to us and says, uh, you know, hey, do y'all live here? And I'm like, oh, see, I knew something was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and I said, well, I live here, and but she's just visiting. He said, well, we want to go out. Me and the band want to go out. Where should we go? And I said, well, we're going to this place in Five Points, which is like the place that you hang out in Columbia, which gotcha. is where like Tin Roof and all that stuff is okay. where you've played. So they end up coming out with us and Jason and his band, and that's how I got to know all of them. And I was just a college student. I think I was like 19 maybe at the time. Wow. And so – then we just had a really good time and end up staying in touch with a few of the guys and they would play in South Carolina and Georgia and North Carolina places that were easily drivable yeah. for us. So me and my friend would just go see them play. And then through that time, Jason got bigger and bigger and we started just, well, not we, cause she already was, but I started listening to more of what was going on on country radio then because I figured, well, if I'm going to go see these guys and I know these guys, I should listen to what they're doing. And yeah. And then they were playing with other people, and so I would listen to them. So then I just went back to listening to country again. And I remember some of the guys at Jason's band asking me what I was going to school for, and I told them, and they said, you know, you would be really great in the music business. And I said, well, that sounds cool. Like, what does that even mean, though? How do you do that? I said, well, you should visit Nashville. And in my head, I just thought of, you know, CMA Fest Nashville because I'd always see pictures of my parents from coming to fanfare, so I had to – idea of Nashville in my head that was like not very cool. Um, but <laughs> I was convinced to come. So we came for a New Year's Eve show at the Somme Center at the time, which is now Bridgestone. And it was a Brooks and Dunn show with Jason, a few others. I can't remember who it was, but they got us these really great tickets and we were sitting with Brooks and Dunn's family. And I remember they all had these passes on and they were going backstage to meet Brooks and Dunn. And I go, oh man, I would love to do that. That sounds fun. And they said, well, you know, you need a pass. And I said to my friend, well, why don't we just walk back and see what happened? <laughs> and so we did. And they just let us back. And we hung out with Brooks and Dunn. got pictures with them and all that stuff, which I could probably still find in the archives. But I thought, man, that was easy. This is so fun. Like, we just went and met Brooks and Dunn. That was awesome. 
And then afterwards, we went out and we had, I'm pretty sure we had fake IDs, but we went out and they took us and got us in all these places. We went to Tin Roof and the stage and all the places that were cool to hang out yeah. at back then. And I remember I met Kelly Pickler that weekend and Blake Shelton. And I just like met all these people that were just out. And I couldn't believe that all these people were just hanging out, out in Nashville, just hanging out. And um, of course, took my picture with all of them because why would I not <clears throat> still have those pictures? I'll have to share them with you sometime. They're Please. hilarious. But uh, yeah, and I just remember two days in thinking, oh my gosh, I love Nashville. I want to I wanna move here. This would be so fun. Yeah. So I went back to school, talked to my guidance counselor and said, I think I want to go to Nashville for my internship because you had to take a whole semester where you weren't doing classes and go and do an internship because they wanted people to get outside of Columbia and do things outside of the area. So right. you kind of got more, that kind of pushed you to do more if you weren't stuck in taking classes. Sure. So I asked my guidance counselor if I could do something in music, which pretty much everybody that went to school with was doing sports. Like mm -hmm. that was what everyone was doing. Gotcha. And she said, well, yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. And she said, my husband went to college in Nashville. Let me see if he knows anybody. So she gives me this email address after she goes back and talks to her husband. She goes, I don't know what this guy does, but you should email him. And he, it could be Christian music, could be country. I have no idea. So I email this guy and say, hey, I want to come to Nashville. I'm looking for an internship. Could I come meet with you? And he said, well, yeah, next time you're in Nashville, you just hit me up and come meet with me. So I did. I made a special trip and went to Nashville. And basically he was like, yeah, you're just so early coming to ask for an internship that like, sure, you can have it. And it was at a small company called Songgarden Publishing, which Byron Gallimore owned at the time. Okay. It doesn't exist anymore. But I didn't know what publishing was, but I just was like, okay, this is my way to get to Nashville. I'm going to do it. Yeah. So I took the internship and then moved that following January because that was when, when the you, semester started. And I was 21 then, so I wanted to be able to get out. And I got anxiety using fake ID. So I was like, yeah. I just got to, yeah. When you say you were early mm -hmm. applying for the internship, was mm -hmm. it like September? I don't and remember. It was, I feel like it was the summer because I remember it being oh really God. hot. So it was like very early. You were like six months early. I was like way early. And, okay. you know, Internships were not the way that they are now. It's so, I feel like it's so competitive now and everybody has to do like proper applications and stuff, which there was still some paperwork that we had to do, but it was nothing like yeah. what it is now. So, yeah. wow. Yeah. So I ended up moving and doing the internship and just, I had no friends here because what I didn't realize was that Jason and Trace and their bands and all the people that worked with them that I knew. We're on the road. They weren't yeah. here. And so I just started going out and meeting people. And when I was interning, um, my boss had signed Brett Eldridge to his first publishing deal. Okay. So Brett became one of my first friends. And Bradley Collins, if you know Bradley, I know, he started I love Bradley. BMI. Yeah. yeah. And Nathan Nicholson and Lee Crable and all those guys. And they used to just take me out with them. And I'd just hang with all of them. And Dang. I'd go out and meet friends on my own. Just anything, you know? Yeah. You're a very friendly person. Yeah. And yeah. I was extra friendly then because I had no friends. So I was like, hi, would you please be my friend? I was what, just part of, uh, what part of town did you live in back then? I lived in Brentwood. I lived at the preserve at Brentwood. Okay. That was my first apartment. It's close enough. Yeah. It, well, back then the traffic was nowhere what it is yeah. now. So like it was totally manageable. Now I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's so far. Yeah. So you do this internship, I guess it's over in the summer. Well, I did the internship and during the internship, I just got so obsessed with it. Once I realized what publishing was and yeah. started meeting songwriters and started listening to songs, you know, back then 
you didn't have, you weren't sending links and stuff. You were actually, you know, making CDs for people and delivering CDs. And so I would burn, I had like a stack of CDs that I burned of the entire catalog there. It was a small company. So there were not a ton of songs, but I would just listen them to my car and listen to them on my computer. Everywhere I went, I was listening to these songs and I'd come back to my boss and say, oh my gosh, what do you think about these songs for this person? Or what do you think about this person writing with this person? And I would go out and meet artists and come back and tell him, you know, so-and-so should be writing with this artist. They're like the next big thing. I just know it. So I just became totally obsessed and I just knew I wanted to be a publisher very quickly into the whole process. And so he convinced my parents to let me move here and transfer to MTSU because he said, she cannot go back home. This is a mistake. She spent all this time meeting people and building connections. Like she's got to live here. So thankfully I have wonderful, amazing parents who said, okay, we'll help her do that. And so that's what I did. Was it still an internship at that point or? So I ended up interning there. It turned into not just a publishing company, but a management company. Because during that time that I was there, Brett Eldridge got signed to Warner Records and he um, became a management client as well as a publishing client. So I helped with the day-to-day stuff for Brett when he first got started. And I was in school like two days a week. Yeah. Just trying to get through because all I wanted to do was be a publisher at that point. So I did not care about anything else other than the doing classes that. were. Yes, just get through with the glasses. And then yeah. I worked at a boutique that doesn't exist anymore. That was um, by Tin Roof. It was called Flavor. Okay. And all the artists used to shop there. So I met a ton of artists there. I mean, it was like, you know, the tacky stuff. It's like the affliction shirts mm-hmm. and, you know, the jeans with the big white stitching. But it was like really cool back then. But everybody would go there because everybody would go to Tin Roof for lunch and stuff or yeah. Sushi Obi. And so all the artists would walk there and come in. So I met so many people that way too. Um, so I was just doing that to make some money, interning for free, and then going to school. What was it about publishing that just made you? I love songwriters. I don't know. I just thought they were such characters and so interested in the creation, the point of creation, because really everything really does start with the song and the creation of the song. Yeah. And I would just meet so many talented people and hear all these songs that other people in the world hadn't heard. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Everybody needs to know this song. Why don't they know this song? And I met so many people during that point that have gone on to become friends and people that I've worked with. Like I met Carly Pierce in my internship. She was just there writing one day. It was when she was right off Dollywood. And I just met her because she had really big hair and I love big hair because I'm (laughs) from South Carolina, obviously. So I was like, oh my gosh, I love your hair. And she was like, they're Jessica Simpson extensions. I just got off Dollywood. And (laughs) So I became friends with her then. During the same time, ironically enough, met Emily Shackleton, who was also not signed and just happened to be writing with someone. And I just heard her sing through a wall. I just remember hearing her and being like, who is that girl? Her voice is so good. And then I waited for her to leave. And I basically just bullied her into being my friend, going, hanging out with me and just became obsessed with her. And so it's... It's funny because I ended up being a publisher for both Carly and Emily years later at the same time. And then they had, you know... The first number one together. First number one together. Or I don't know if that, was that it both was of their first number both ones? Both of them, wow. yeah. And then they've had others since then. So um, it's That's pretty awesome. crazy just to think about that. And they didn't even know each other at that point. So, really? Mm-hmm. Do you remember who like the first writer that you signed that was like all your- Matt Roy. Idea, really? Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. Dang. Who you just had, I just listened to his I know. podcast. He yeah. loves you. I know, I love him. Yeah, he's great. So you were at this company- Mm-hmm. And then you were you were at BMG at one point. Yeah. So I don't know. There's how, not how enough, there's it? not enough time on this podcast for <laughs> I'm telling you. I, I try to make it short, but there's so many crazy things that happen that are just sometimes I look back on them and when I 
when I do something like this or actually talk about it, I realize how kind of wild it is. You know how you hear other people's stories and you're like, I cannot believe that. That's unbelievable. And you don't really think about how you got to where you got to and how strange it is and how many things happened to get you there. Um, So did that internship, was headed towards graduating college, did not intern anywhere else, thought I had a job there, did not have a job there. Mm. Um, There was a situation where someone got hired and for some personal sure. political reasons as things sometimes happen. It just It's that way sometimes. And I found out the week that I was graduating. So I was crushed. And you did, so now you graduate and you don't have a job. Exactly. Yeah. Did not have a job. Tough. So I would do whatever to make money. I was like, I got it. I knew I wanted to be a publisher. So I would just do all these random jobs. I could not get a job in publishing to save my life. Like just could not get one. Yeah. And so um, I ended up taking a job at a Christian music company, but I was doing sales. I was literally like selling church music gotcha. for like Easter programs, which I hadn't. Didn't have a passion for that. No. And also didn't know anything about it really. <laughs> like I was like, what am I doing? But I did really well at it. Cause I'm just competitive. And so I would just try to beat everybody and I would try to sell more than anybody. So it was still like fun in that part, but I yeah. really just wasn't what I wanted to do. And I just hit a really dark time where I was really depressed and really struggling with anxiety to the point where I was having anxiety attacks out in public and would have to go to the bathroom at work and I would just be sweating. Like my whole body would be hot. I'd be sweating and I didn't know what was going on. And I remember just thinking, gosh, this never happened for me. Mm. I could cry talking about it because I just still get emotional about it. But I just thought, why, why did God give me this dream? And then it's not happening. Yeah. And it was so hard because you see other people, which I'm sure you can relate, of course. doing all the things that you want to do and mm-hmm. having the things you want to have and you know, knowing you put in the work and the time and you feel like you have the talent or whatever it is to do it and it just doesn't line up. And I remember just having a particularly bad week and I did not get out of bed for a week. I did not shower. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not go to work. I called out. And my roommates were so concerned that they overnighted a plane ticket to my parents and had my mom come. And my mom came and got me out of bed and they literally carried me to the car to take me to the hospital because they thought I was like physically sick. No one at the time, people weren't talking about mental health the way that they do now. And I didn't, I really thought I was sick. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Yeah. And I didn't know what it was. So they took me to the emergency room and I thought, gosh, I'm, they're going to tell me, something. you have this, you have that. There's something physically wrong with you. And they said, we're checking you in the psychiatric hospital. And I was there for a few weeks and wow. got put on medication and the whole shebang. Got yeah. out, went to Onsite, if you're familiar with Onsite at I've all. I've heard of it, yeah. So it's a therapeutic workshop. It's in Cumberland Furnace, Tennessee. And they basically give you like a year's worth of therapy in a week. And it's wow. amazing. You, sh- it, it, Everybody should go there at yeah. least once. I've gone twice. A lot of people in the music industry have gone. It's a really special place. But even after that, I was kind of stable, but I wasn't who I was before. I just was not right. Mm. And I remember one day just calling my parents on a Wednesday and saying, I just can't do this anymore. Please come get me. And that Friday I moved and I didn't tell anybody I was leaving. I just left wow. and moved home. Back home to my room, my, you know, room that I grew up in and um, worked my high school job, which was at my family's pet store, like with a college degree. And I mean, Hmm. really, I mean, you talk about 
just being depressed and feeling bad about yourself. And I had no plan B. I didn't know what I was going to do. Because yeah. when I was in Nashville, I thought, this is going to happen for me. This is, I had no fear. You know, I was so young and I didn't think that anything bad could happen. I thought it was all going to be great. And I was just going to do this thing and I wanted to do it and it was going to happen. And yeah. I had no idea. And oh, so, wow. yeah, so I moved back home. How long did you stay home for? Almost three years. Three years. Almost three years. And and it was bad. I mean, I had like a moment where I felt relief because I was home and I felt safe around my family. But yeah. then reality hit to where I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was like homebound for six months. I only went to the doctor. Like wow. it, it physically made me anxious to go check the mail. That's how. It was just it, that bad. It was so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really hard. You know, even when I was in college, I went to a counselor for the, like the first time. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, man, I feel all these things. And I like physically, my yeah. heart would race and all this stuff. And he was like, yeah, man, you have anxiety. You're like, it and can't I was be that like, simple. What is that? I'd never heard of it before. Yeah, you didn't know. So I was, God, I mean, that was at the end. I was almost 22 years old and like didn't wow. even know. Didn't even know what it was. What it was. And, you know, I mean, recognizing something is, is the first step, but it's hard. And it's really the hard. music business is very difficult. It is. And it requires a lot of mental gymnastics to mm-hmm. convince yourself. <laughs> I think it, it's something we talked about um, in episode one with, with Jimmy Bell about putting your, putting your blinders on and, and recognizing like, I think one of the hardest things I know for me was when people that you move to town with that you start off with start having success. Right. And you're like, well, what's wrong with me? To, oh, Why am I not having success? Of course. I must suck or not right. be any good. And that part is so hard to to navigate. I think fortunately, as you stay, if you're able to stick around long enough, mm-hmm. you kind of will have your own success and start to realize like, okay, everybody's timeline is just it's just different. Totally. And that's the hardest thing And that's why I think it's important to share that with people is that you see Instagram, you see Facebook, you see all these things, you see people out that look like they've got it together and things are going well for them. You see the press releases with promotions or hirings Mm -hmm. and accolades and you just see that, you know, people aren't really talking about the dark stuff or how hard it was to get there. And not everybody goes to college and has an internship and gets a job, you know, that does happen for some people and that's wonderful and that's great for them. But for a lot of people, that's just not the reality. And I think it's important to acknowledge that and share that because it can take a long time to get where you're going. But one thing that really has stuck with me is that your dreams don't have an expiration date Yeah, and you just have to stick with it. If it's something that you really feel like you were meant to do. And I think, if you're in this industry, you're called to do it. And, you know, it's like, there's nothing else that you can really do if, to me, if God puts that dream in your heart, if Mm. you feel like you're called to do this, like you're meant to do that and there will be a way. Yeah. Golly. How did you get from, you move home, you're home Mm -hmm. for three years. Yeah. Are you working at the the pet store the whole time? Yeah. And I was doing that and I I was lucky because it was a family business that I knew, but it was also super embarrassing. I didn't want to see anybody that I knew because they thought I was living the high life in Nashville and here I am back at home. Mm -hmm. And I also did radio station promotion. So it kind of felt like I was around music in some ways, but not the way that I was. So I did that. 
just whatever I could. And then I s- decided like, okay, I'm never going to Nashville again. That's it. I'm never, that <laughs> I've wasn't, it off. yeah, that wasn't for me. Time to move on. If my friends ever want to see me again, then they can stop when they're on tour, whatever. Yeah. But I took a job at a marketing company and I toured the country for six months with these two guys on um, this bus. And we did health assessments in low income areas for people that couldn't afford to go to the doctor and get them. And then um, when we would get the results, like we'd get the results right then, we'd hire nurses to come and help us. And then we would set them up in their area with places and resources so they could pay for that. Yeah. So it was a really fulfilling job and it was really fun because I got to go to all kinds of places that I didn't think I could ever go to. And also I was still kind of battling overcoming my anxiety at that point. So travel was really hard for me because it didn't feel safe. Yeah. And um, I had kind of started off slowly. Like I, I had a company that I used to do promotions for and I did CMA Fest stuff with um, when I was just trying to struggle and make ends meet and just do whatever I could. Mm-hmm. And they had called me um, because my manager that during CMA Fest had said she should go work the Super Bowl. So they flew me to New York and I worked the Super Bowl and then they flew me back for the draft and turn gave me the opportunity to go on that tour. Yeah. And so I did that and then I was set to go do another one. And then I had a friend reach out to me and said, you need to be in Nashville. Cause the whole time that I was in South Carolina, I still had friends sending me songs or saying, Hey, I know, you know, this person, can you connect me with them? Yeah. So I was still kind of helping, but without really realizing it. Yeah. And so I um, had a friend reach out and said, hey, I know you want to be a publisher, but there's this job open at SAI. I think that would be a great way to get you back to Nashville. You're around songwriters. You can help people, but maybe that can be like a starting point for you to get back. Yeah. So I came and interviewed for a job in SAI and got that job. So then I moved back. That was enough to get you back in the that game. That was enough to get me back. So yeah. I was here and, you know, it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, but it was important because it got me back, first of all. And yeah. then during that time, I ran into Caroline Mobley. I don't know if you know Caroline. I don't. She used to be a label executive and A&R at Warner. Okay. She was who signed Brett Eldridge to his his deal there. Oh, wow. And so I knew her from back then, but hadn't seen her in years. And she yeah. came in one day for something and said, I thought you moved. And I go, yeah, I did. I just moved back. And she goes, well, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be a publisher. I know I'm supposed to be a publisher. (laughs) I've been saying that for years. And she said, well, I have this friend. He's starting a publishing company. Can I tell him about you? And I was like, absolutely. Get me out of here. I want to be a publisher. Yeah. Well, during that same time, this is so weird. So many things were happening at at the same time. Um, I had met a girl who was looking for a roommate that a friend of mine in California had connected me with because she had moved from California. Okay. And she said, my friend just got this job at Big Machine doing A&R and she is looking for a roommate. You should meet with her. And I said, great, I'm looking for a roommate too. So we got together and she didn't know anybody. And she said, look, like if you have any music or any artists or any songwriters, anything like that that you think I would find interesting, would you just send it to me? Because I'm still trying to get the lay of the land here. Yeah. And I said, sure. So I had met a manager who, I don't even think he works in the industry anymore. I have no idea. But he was managing the artist Tara Thompson at okay. the time. If you knew Tara, she was signed to Big Machine. Okay. But at the time she was not. And he had just asked me if I would listen to some of her music, if I was interested in helping. And I said, well, look, like I can't quit this job. Like, you know, I got to make this much money yeah. to live, which already was like nothing. And he <laughs> said, well, if you like her stuff, 
you know, would you meet her and would you maybe help us connect some dots with some different people that maybe I don't know? Yeah. And I said, sure. So he sent me the music and I loved it. And then I met her and I was like, oh my gosh, this girl is freaking awesome. I love her. How can I help? He said, well, we're trying to get a meeting with Scott Bruschetta. I was like, cool, me too. That's awesome. <laughs> he's like, well, do you know anybody? And I said, actually, strangely enough, I just met with this girl to potentially live with who's working as an A&R assistant at Big Machine. Yeah. I'll send the music. So I did. And she called me and said, we're going to play this for Scott. And then four days later, Tara went in and they offered her deal on the spot. Wow. So it was just kind of this crazy weird thing that was happening. In the meantime, I'm meeting with this company. And then Tara Alex Klein, who you probably know, mm -hmm. was producing Tara Thompson and had written all the songs with her okay. that had been sent to me, which I then pitched to Big Machine. Yeah. And they did not have uh, anyone working at Starstruck on the publishing side. And that's where Alex was signed at the time. So oh, she okay. went to her boss there and said, hey, there's this girl. She just pitched Tara Thompson to Big Machine. And now I'm producing a major label artist. Like we need to, we need to talk to this girl because maybe she can help us. We need someone over here. Yeah. So I met with him and it was a good meeting, but he just didn't seem like in a hurry to do anything. So I was like, okay, just another disappointment, just another <laughs> disappointment. I'm not, you know, I'm like, I'm just thinking, oh, it's the same old stuff over and over again. Oh my God. So I'm still meeting with this other company and they're like flying people in from, you know, wherever they're getting their money from to come meet with me. And I'm like, golly, how many times are you going to make me meet? Are we doing this or not? Yeah. And then I remember one day I was going somewhere after work and it got canceled, whatever it was. And I called Alice just to see what she was doing because we kind of became friends through this process. And she said, oh my gosh, we're at Starstruck recording with Tara. You should come by and stop stop by the studio. And I yeah. said, well, that's great. I'm right across the street. So I went over there and she said, you should go upstairs and see Cliff, who is her boss, who I'd met with originally. Um, I was just talking about you again. Like you should pop back up there, say hi. I said, well, okay. I don't want to be a pain in the ass, but I'll yeah. go up there. So I did. And he said, oh my gosh, I was just talking about you at lunch today. Come with me, come with me. Okay, so backstory, a friend of mine and I, we got together and we had watched like uh, The Secret. Do you remember The Secret? I do not. Okay, y'all, The Secret. So it's about <laughs> it's about manifesting things and like believing good things. Like if you watched it now, you'd be like, Courtney, what is this? But we watched this and made is this these like, vision boards. Write it down. You'll make it come true. Yes. And so we made vision boards together. And I grew up loving Reba. My dad has always loved Reba. And so that kind of like yeah. came to me through my dad. And uh, I'd put her on a vision board. And I said, like, I don't care what I have to do. Like, I'm going to work for Reba one day. Like, I'll clean her toilets, anything. So I forgot that part of the story. But this will fast forward and make sense for this part. So we go down the hall. We walk in this huge office. And he goes... Reba, this is the girl I was telling you about at lunch today. No way. And Reba literally like turns her chair around like an angel. Like lit I think there was like a light behind her. It was just like, <laughs> I think I blacked out. It's so weird. She got up and she was like, comes, you know, Reba, she's like, Courtney, I hope all your dreams come true. You know, she's, I'm not, I definitely don't sound like her, but you know how she talks. But yeah. it was crazy. It, it was just nuts. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe – and I don't even remember what she said. I don't really remember that much about it. Just that, okay, if I don't get this job, that's cool because that was awesome. Yeah. And then we went down the hall, and I was just, like, throwing up in my mouth probably at that point. <laughs> just, like, be cool, like, sweating, all the things. And uh, Narvel happened to be there. So Narvel Blackstock at the time yep. was Reba's husband and manager. Blake Sean's manager still today. Yep. Um, also Kelly Clarkson at the time. 
And he came down the hall and just happened to be there. And this was like 6.30 at night. This wasn't like mid-afternoon. So he came in and I met him. And because Starstruck is his business. Everybody always thought, you know, Reba, but it really, Narvel is Starstruck. So we met and then I left and I was like, well, man, that was really cool. Like that was, I can't believe I just met Reba. I called my mom freaking out. And I just remember talking to my mom and I go, gosh, you know, it just feels like the same old thing. What if I don't get offered either job? Yeah. And she goes, what if you get offered both? And I said, that will never happen. I'm not that lucky. That will never happen. So I literally got offered both jobs a day apart. And then I took Starstruck because Reba, (laughs) like, I mean, I don't even need to explain myself, right? It's like, I get to be in the same space as Reba. Like what? So I did that and I worked at Starstruck for a few years and then I went to BMG. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. I like the image of Reba just. Just like, just there. But she really, I mean, she worked so hard. It's like a testament to her. She would be there every single day unless she was on the road. What was she doing in there? I don't know. I wasn't sitting in there with her, but like. I mean, do you think she was like checking her like accounts? I don't know what she was doing. Was she writing songs? No, I don't know what she was doing, but it was funny because anytime people would come over, they'd have to walk out of the elevator past her office to get to my office. Yeah. So he'd walk by and she had her office doors open. It wasn't like she was in there closed up or anything. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. And then people would stop and think, what's that? She's actually here. She's here every day. Like unless she's out on the road, she is here. That's um, crazy. Yeah. And like you walk in her office, it's like stepping in the 90s. There was like a box TV and all this mm. stuff. And she was like, when she was moving out, because obviously her Narvel divorced yeah. when I was there and she went on and uh, she was like, should we donate this? I was like, I don't even think Goodwill will take that. Like, it's just like, no, when you, what do you, this is a hundred pounds. Like, what are you going <laughs> to do with this? But um, yeah, so that was like an interesting time and where I really learned how to be scrappy because they weren't letting me sign anyone. And it was all kind of like writers that were still like trying to figure it out. I didn't have any big hit writers or anything yeah. like that. So it really forced me to get out there and get hustle. Scrappy. And and I was glad for that time because it helped me realize, you know, how hard you really have to work to get things going and yeah. just to be resourceful and just do the best you can. So sure. that was really, really a interesting time. And yeah. then I went to BMG. Is it true that there's a helipad on top of Starstruck. Yeah, so they were never able to use that because mm-hmm. it was like against whatever the rules FAA or re- regulations. Whatever the regulations were. Yeah. And I'm like, oh gosh, if they could fast forward now and see all the construction that we have, like that would be the <laughs> least of their worries. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I always heard I'd always heard like that that rumor. Yeah. But then they couldn't get some permit or whatever. Yep. Would have been awesome. Would have been Reba pretty cool. Flying to work. And I mean, yeah, she basically does. She's an angel. Like yeah. she just, she's like got <laughs> angel wings. She's, yeah, she's perfect. <laughs> um, so now you're at Concord. I'm at Concord. But interesting thing about being at BMG, mm-hmm. when I got the job at BMG, Kurt Allison and Tolly Kennedy were two of my writers who are in Jason Aldean's band and were the guys that I originally met who told wow. me that I should move to Nashville. That's so cool. So all those years later. It all came true. Yes. It was crazy. We worked together. So like they yeah. just met this girl in South Carolina thinking some some girl. Yeah. And then all these years now. later, we ended up working together. And then that was where I worked with Carly Pierce. That was where I worked with Emily Shackleton. So it was just a very full circle yeah. time. And a I, lot of cool stuff happened that. when I was there. So yeah. That's awesome. And that's where I signed Matt Roy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're at, you're at Concord now. Mm-hmm. 
I think you just got a promotion I saw. I did, yeah. It was in Music Row. It was in Music Row, so, yeah. Big time. It's official. That's big time right there. <laughs> I always love when I see stuff in Music Row. I'm like, all right, they're doing it. It's like Nashville's yearbook. Or something, that's you a know? Good, yeah, that's a good way to put it's it. It's like, I don't think my dad is aware that their music row is even like a Oh, my mom is. She sees everything. She'll send me <laughs> stuff and she'll be like, did you know so-and-so signed here? Did you know this is happening? Like, she's all over it. So, yeah. yeah. That's great. I love your story. That's why I love doing this because I didn't know any of that stuff. What, do you want to hear something even crazier? Y- yeah, absolutely. So, this is even more wild. So, my boss, Brad Kennard, was who email my god it's counselor gave me wow. whose husband went to college with him he gave me my first internship that is crazy and 15 years later he was able to actually hire me wow he was able to make good on that <laughs> promise all these years later it came all the way back around it came all the way back around and he stayed a mentor to me throughout the years i always joke with him that i'm the intern that never went away because yeah. i just always loved him and respected him and he treated me so well as an intern yeah. and introduced me to so many people that have been influential to me and supporters like he introduced me to Carla Wallace and Stephanie Wright and so many people that have been incredible to me from the time I was an intern to now. So it's just really crazy when you like think about how all those things happened. Yeah. I think there are things about publishing that people don't know a lot about. Yeah. And honestly, I'm kind of curious about some of this stuff. Me too. So what, (laughs) uh, what kind of like obviously your responsibility is like you got to find writers, mm-hmm. you got to sign them. Yep. And then you're doing like calendar management, right? And yeah. you're pitching songs. Yep. Is there anything I'm forgetting? I mean, I feel like publishers just do so much now. It's kind of crazy. Like, yeah. I mean, anything from when I was working with Matt, he had an artist development budget and it was figuring out how to use that. Sure. Money. So I'd set up a photo shoot for him, which I had never done before. I yeah. had to, you know, reach out, call in favors, see what we could afford, sure. get a stylist, get a photographer, all the things, um, and then f- help him find a producer and go through that process and figure out who that person was going to be, um, picking out songs, A&Ring the project. So there was so much more that went into that than yeah. I thought. We hired someone to do you know, all the TikTok stuff because Matt hated that. And yeah. he needed someone to push him <laughs> and find a way to make it authentic to him. Uh, right now, I, I work with Russell Dickerson, who is um, in between a management change. And yeah. so I've just been helping him with stuff for the past, you know, almost two months uh, that have nothing to do with publishing. Like I just spoke to him on something for Apple Music or, you know, like it could be any random yeah. thing that we end up doing. And I think a lot of it is just taking meetings, getting information, figuring out uh, the puzzle pieces of co-writing. And I really, a lot of people hate doing calendars. I love doing calendars, especially when I get like a new one and it's blank because I'm, oh my gosh, (laughs) it's so exciting. Like this person is a great lyricist. This person's great at this. And oh my gosh, they're going to love each other. And like, sometimes I think I'm more excited for the days to come up than the writers probably are because I just, (laughs) in my mind, I envision what kind of song they're probably going to write. And it's really exciting. Also very strange. And I talk about this a lot, how my job is to put together these writers that I think make sense. We'll write a great song together. But I, I was never one of those publishers that was previously a songwriter. You run into a lot of people that previously were trying to be artists or songwriters, and then they stumbled into doing publishing because sure. they just did. And so I have never been in a writing session. I have no idea 
what goes on in there. Really what goes on in there. I have an <laughs> idea and I hear stories, but it's crazy that that is what people are looking at me for my area of expertise to put them together in these sessions that make sense and will give them a great return on their investment. Yeah. And I've never actually been in a session. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That is kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. But it's like a puzzle, you know, trying to figure that out. And then you get someone new and then you figure out who the regulars are and then you incorporate new people. And it's yeah. just, it's really fun. I like think it's just really exciting. Yeah. I recently signed a new deal, went yes. over to Big Machine. And like, it is, it's actually very hard. I was at Warner Chapel for- You were there a while, right? Five years. So it's just kind of hard to like port over the information. It is. It's like, oh, well, these are the people I normally write with. And then a week later, I'm like, oh, and I forgot this person. Yep. And then also there's this guy that I wrote with all the time, like three years ago. I don't know what happened. Yeah. I don't write with him anymore. And we got good stuff. We should write it totally. again. And it's very cyclical. And yeah. I, I don't know. I don't really understand how it all works. But I do love as a writer just waking up and it's like, cool. This is what I'm doing today. It's totally. awesome. And just to be excited, like that's my main thing is I tell my writers, if you look at your calendar and you're not excited about the day or you don't know why you're doing the day and I can't give you an answer, then it just goes away. Yeah. Period. Because that's awesome. you have to be excited and passionate about what you're doing. And when songwriters get so burnt out or they're not excited or inspired by what they're doing, then it becomes a check-in, check-out. Okay, yeah. check-in at 11, check-out at 2 or 3 onto the next. And you never want a writer to feel uninspired like that. Sure. So I feel like it's my job to be able to put things in there that they love and are creatively inspired by, or there's a real reason why we're doing this. And like, here's the reason you feel good about it. Great. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, Hey, you should write with this person because they're also managed, you know, they manage this artist, this artist, this artist, they also manage this person. So I think if you write with this artist, maybe that gives us a better shot at you working with this artist or planting those seeds. And a lot of times people are like, oh, okay, that makes sense. We'll, we'll do that then. So yeah. just as long as you can give people a reason why they're doing something, I think that goes a long way. Yeah. The why behind it. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a lot of songwriters listening to this right now and they want to know, like, how do I get a publishing deal? Like what kind of things are you looking for as a publisher? How does somebody like even get on your radar? You know, it happens in so many different ways. When I met Matt Roy, it's because I had a friend of mine that was a manager at the listen and he was at the listening room and just stumbled upon the round one night for whatever reason. He texted me at 11 that night. I was like, I'm so sorry to text you so late, but I just saw this kid play and he was awesome and he doesn't have a publishing deal. Would you meet with him? Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, who, who is it? Well, then I looked up the flyer for the show and saw he was on the round with Brock Berryhill, who I didn't know and was friends with. And I called Brock. I was like, oh, what do you know about this Matt Roy kid? He's like, he's amazing. He should have a deal. Like, you should meet with him. Yeah. And then I remember meeting Matt on a Friday. And I just was like, I don't know what it is. I just want to work with him. And I just knew it and then offered him a deal that Monday. Wow. So over the weekend, I was like, oh, man, I just kept thinking about it. I was like, I, I don't know. There's something special about this guy. I just I want to work with him. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't really even know how to pinpoint that or explain it. There was just something about him. And the funny thing was, is I feel like I can talk to just about anybody and it was not easy to talk to Matt originally. Like Matt is very, you know, Matt's very reserved. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't, you know, he holds all his cards close to his chest and you don't really know what he's thinking. So no I remember doubt. calling Brock and being like, I really like him, but I don't know if he liked me. He's like, oh, he loved you. I just talked to him. I was like, he did? So, um, oh, you know, so and funny. I can't explain that all the time. Or like sometimes it's just a gut feeling. Mm -hmm. Sometimes someone comes across your table like you know I signed Corey Crowder at the end of last year and 
Corey and I have been friends for years and he's an awesome hit songwriter and he brought something different that I didn't have on my roster already. So that felt easy and like a no brainer. Yeah. And then there are times like I just signed this kid named Clayton Mullen out of Texas and he's awesome. Like he's, I just love him. Like, I don't know how to explain it. I got sent a little TikTok video of him. I know everyone hates TikTok, but he did not have, well, I mean, it's a good tool. If you're a college kid, like he was at TCU, it's a great tool for him. Great for discovery. And he just had a little tidbit of a song and a friend of mine that I actually went to college with at USC who now lives in Nashville and works for Luke Combs. He loves like sending me people. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. But he I always listen. So he sent me this. He goes, ah, I think there's something here with this kid. I was like, man, this is actually pretty cool. So I hit him up. He had like 300 followers or something on Instagram. Nobody from the music industry, which was really exciting. I was like, oh, nobody's like on this. <laughs> and I said, hey, would you like want to meet and do a Zoom? It was during COVID. And he said, well, I only have one song. So can we meet when I have more songs? Which I was really impressed by. That I was is, like, that is, yeah. okay. So I kept following him, kept following him. And then in the meantime, he started releasing music and stuff. And then he just graduated from TCU um, a few weeks ago and just moved here, like during CMA Fest. So wow. that was one way that I met somebody. And then he told me about one of his friends that I like that I've just offered a deal to. So it's kind of interesting. You just never know how you're going to connect with somebody. A lot of times someone will mention them or you'll see someone show up on songs with some of your writers or someone, you know, will just say, hey, have you heard about this person? Or you see them on Instagram. You know, I feel like there's a lot of people that pop up a lot that I'm like, who is that person? And then you start kind of digging around and you're like, oh, I don't think they have a deal. And then, you know, you'll reach out or whatever. And sometimes people just reach out to you. So I mean, you can discover people in so many ways now. Sometimes yeah. people just come up to me when I'm out. Yeah. And they'll just know who I am, however they do. They just know me. And I guess they just do their homework and they want to know who the publishers are. And so they'll come up and talk to me. And if I like them or whatever, sometimes I'll take a meeting with them. Just yeah, depends. Just you know? to see. Yeah. It sounds like it's kind of a hard question to answer, but it's sort of like if you do, just do some really great stuff or yeah. put yourself out there. And people like it's su- it sucks, but like people will find you if you're doing good stuff. Like people find it. It yeah. just has a way of working itself out. Yeah, and I also think like the and the thing that is probably really hard for people and would be hard for me if I was in that position. And even on the business side, it's like you want that so bad. So you see that person and you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like meet with me, blah blah. blah and you're trying to sell yourself. Yeah. And sometimes it's better just to like be cool. Like, let me see you out at a few things and wonder who you are. Like, there's a little bit of like that too, where I'm like, sometimes I've just seen people so many times at different things with different people. I know I'm like, who the heck is that person? And then I just do a little research. I'm like, they seem cool and they may introduce themselves, but they don't ever ask anything of me. They're just like, oh, hey, I'm so-and-so, whatever, which I think is good because it takes pressure off of you as well. Well, you build that goodwill. Yeah. And then maybe down the road. Yeah. If you're like, hey, can we yeah. go meet or whatever? It's like, oh, cool. I've, I know, I've seen this person out or I know them yes. or, or whatever. And I think if you ask five different publishers, they're going to give you so many different answers on what they're looking for. Yeah. And it is hard to pinpoint. I will say for me, it's someone that is going to be a partner, a mm-hmm. true partner, and someone that is going to be in the driver's seat of their own career because I can't want it for someone more than they want it for themselves. And someone can be incredibly talented and you see it happen every day and they just don't put in the work. Mm. And it's like, ugh, but you have all of these things that people, you have so much talent. People would love to have that. They're not willing to do what they need to do to get to the finish line. 
and I can't drag someone to the finish line. You can't. So I think it sucks sometimes. It's really hard. And yep. then, you know, then you have people that are like absolute dreams to work with that work really hard and care so much about it. And they don't look to you to expect you to do everything for them. They look yeah. at you as a partner that can add to what they do and strategize with them and figure it out. And I think that's something that's just really important. Yeah. People need to hear that sometimes. The personal responsibility is hard. It is. And I think it's hard when you get all the stuff. Mm-hmm. especially when you get signed or you get you get a, a record deal or right. you get a booking agent or whatever. It's like, you still got to do it. You That's still got to put in the work. And, you know, the more you do, the more they can help you with. Yep. And that's when the hard work starts. It's like I always tell people, the moment you sign... <laughs> That's when the clock starts ticking. This is how much time we have to make something happen so we can hopefully continue to work together. Yeah. And every day the window closes a little bit more, but every time something happens, it opens up a little bit more. Yeah. And the goal is that you do so well together that you just want to keep working together and you want to work together as long as you can. And the only way to do that is if you're both giving 100%. And I'm really lucky because you know, the writers that I work with now, you You got some great ones, really good and good people and talented people and kind people. And I feel like I'm just learning so much from all of them to you. Just, yeah, I know you work with a lot of people that I work with, but Andy Albert, you know, Josh Miller, Russell Dickerson, I, I feel like, and Corey, I feel like I learned so much about having some balance, you know, those guys are so good at prioritizing their family Mm. and also still showing up and working hard, but knowing how to, you know, draw the line and, and have boundaries. And yeah. Jen Wayne and Topher Brown, I feel like are the most generous people I've ever met. And they're always a good reminder to me to like give back to people and be really kind. And Lauren Hungate, who is my, one of my newest babies, but she is an absolute superstar, but yeah. she's just so passionate and so excited about doing it. And everything is really exciting to her still, mm-hmm. which always reminds me on the, you know, the bad days that like, Stay excited. This is amazing that you get to do this. And yeah, this is supposed to be fun. Yeah, and be yourself. She's so good at just being herself, which yeah. is like quirky and just <laughs> interesting. And people love her for that. And I think it's a good reminder to just be yourself because yeah. people are the right people are going to love you for that. So I just feel like really lucky because we all get to learn from each other. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you. So much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm honored. I feel like there's so much more we could get to, so we'll have to have you back sometime. Love that. But uh, yeah, all right. Thank you. That's it. That's the pod. See you later. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Keep rating. Keep reviewing. Keep subscribing. We love you. Talk to you soon.